I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello. Welcome to Jules Says, and thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you shared it with friends, family. You can give them the language warning, because, yeah. If you have something you'd like to share or to ask me, don't hesitate to email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. I'm going to start today with emails because I always seem to go off on some long-winded tangent and then I don't get to them, which isn't very nice. Even if I don't share the email on the podcast or share it in a timely fashion, I do always reply to you directly. So trust me, I'm not ignoring people. Before I get into any of these others, I got an email from someone in the Sarnia area. She sent me a link to an article in the London Free Press. Yes, we have a London in Ontario, Canada. A woman was heading to Sarnia's Walmart in the back of a taxi on a Saturday night when the driver, I'm not going to say his name, but it was in the paper, asked if she wanted to drink some alcohol. The taxi driver was impaired, and the judge said that he put the customer at risk. No kidding. If your job is to drive, I didn't even think to mention don't be impaired. But don't be impaired. Add that to the checklist. Here's one with a work question. I did respond directly, so I haven't been ignoring her. I love your podcast. Thank you for recording your thoughts and reflections. They definitely help bring a new perspective into my days. I have to say, I'm interjecting here. I have to say I really appreciate hearing that from people because I'm just a regular older lady who's lived my life and I haven't done anything exciting. I'm not a celeb. 
I don't have access to fascinating professionals or celebrities to interview necessarily, although I think some of my friends are interesting, which means every week when I do this podcast, I think, why am I doing it? Is this just self-serving? It is kind of therapy for me. Then I get an email or a DM from someone telling me how much they like it and how much they appreciate the perspective of an older woman. So thank you for letting me know because, you know, you put these things out and sometimes it feels like they go out into a big black hole. So I appreciate it. Anyway, back to the email. I have a question for you on my career, also in IT, and how you think I can progress through the ranks. I find your career story extremely inspiring, especially where you found opportunities to grow. I've started my professional career six years ago at one of the big four, working as a technology consultant, which involved a bit of everything and gave me really good insight into the different areas I can grow. But it all happened at a crazy pace with very long hours, yes, not much financial reward, and slow progression after a few years. Six months ago, I made a move out into an industry role in a risk function, and both my salary and quality of life are much improved. However, I can clearly see that although this has opened up the wide array of jobs to me in technology, the position does not have any clear progression. My colleagues have been doing the same role for 20 years. I don't want to stand still. As without growth in technology, my skills will become obsolete very quickly, and I can see a lot of my peers' skills in this team are very outdated and no longer current. What learning would you suggest apart from formal courses? Do I push for secondments within the business to learn more? Many thanks for any advice. First, a broad technology consultant is a great start precisely because it gives you background across different areas of technology. So it's helpful no matter where your career takes you, because even if you go in one direction, that basic broad knowledge will be helpful to you. In my case, so much of my background is now in obsolete technology, but the concepts, analytical, critical thinking is all the same. It's all there. I needed it then. You need it now. I ended up in SAP application layer security, but the bonus I'm one of the few security people I know who was also a developer or programmer, so I can effectively help developers write secure code. I can read the code to help find gaps and errors. I have operating system and resource load experience, which helped me as a programmer because I understood the importance and how to write code efficiently. In some of my contracts, as a security person, I ended up taking on rewriting some of the code, working on data conversion, and in one project, I was the cutover manager. So the breadth of my experience was seen as an asset. And people in other areas of IT, once we worked together for a period of time and we got to know each other, other people could see that I knew enough about their areas to help them. So I just want to reinforce how great that broad exposure really was, no matter where you end up. As for where to go, you are in a risk function, which could be strategic operational risk, a cybersecurity risk function, and even if it's cyber, it could be strategic or it could be hands-on, like pen testing and implementing and configuring the tools for threat prevention, detection, threat response. And then there's all kinds of reporting and audit requirements. 
there's a lot there. If you like your company, people who've been in the same role might be a little stale. So perhaps this is an opportunity to propose some improvements to demonstrate that you're not a person who will stagnate. I think with any job, a manager always appreciates someone who doesn't just come to them with a complaint, but comes to them with potential solutions. And even if they don't use your ideas, it does show initiative and analytical thinking ability. I don't know how anyone can have 20 years in one role in IT because one of the best things about a job in IT is that it's constantly changing. Technology is constantly changing. But if you're in a company that's using 20-year-old technology, ugh, hopefully they're planning on updating soon or you might want to consider getting out. But anyway, if you're in a cyber role, the technology is always changing. The legal and regulatory requirements are always changing. GDPR is fairly new, for example. There are ISO compliance requirements, Sarbanes-Oxley or SOX compliance requirements, the HIPAA compliance, which is, um, what the hell does GDPR even stand for? Oh, GDPR, which is General Data Protection Regulation. HIPAA stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which is a U.S. federal statute to protect your health data. Anyway... Cyber crosses all areas of data protection. Believe me, if you're in cyber, there is something always changing and interesting that you can contribute to the organization. It's actually impossible to keep up. But if cybersecurity is your bag, there happens to also be a huge gap in cybersecurity professionals, both on the strategic and hands-on technical sides. And a lot of the technical people can be the types who know the technology inside and out and are very interested in keeping up with new trends in technology. But they're not necessarily the decision makers. And since they tend to think in technical terms, it's sometimes difficult to translate that to strategic business benefit when they're talking to executives who are very often not technical. But the, the strategic role includes getting funding for the required investments to protect the company's assets. So if you're interested in cyber, strategic or hands-on, you might want to look into some of the cybersecurity organizations for certification, also a community for connections, free resources to build your skills, and also confirm what area you're most interested in focusing on. And cyber risk, as we all know, is increasing at an exponential rate. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I have a CISSP certification, which is Certified Information Systems Security Professional, through ISC2, which is a U.S.-based organization, but they do have many other certifications, and a lot of the certifications are recognized globally. And they're system agnostic. They apply to real life regardless of what the actual technologies are used by any given business. They have a cloud certification available too, so they're always changing and trying to keep up with the times. The cloud certification wasn't available when I was certified. If you're in the UK, there's a push to get more people certified for free. Take a look at the ISC2 website. It's isc2.org. 
and see if any of those opportunities interest you or if you qualify. Like I said, it's a broad field and the growth potential is astronomical. I'll share the link to this opportunity on the podcast text in case anyone listening is interested. Also, ISACA is another organization, also global, relevant, respected. And if you prefer hands-on work, some people just love programming. I actually love programming. But the problem is the decision makers don't necessarily appreciate good programmers. In their minds, they can hire cheap offshore people to do that work. But the reality is that in most cases, the ability to communicate well with the business and the analysts, the ability to ask business-related questions as you're working through the development is really valuable. And also, I've had to rewrite a lot of garbage code that crashed the system once it was in production because it was just written inefficiently. One project manager said to me, do you seriously think you can code faster than some guy out of school? Which is ridiculous. Speed is not really the best performance indicator of how good a programmer you are. Am I the best programmer I know? No. But I bring a lot to the table that some programmers I've known don't have. I know a lot about business, processes, resource impacts, security, and I will think of ways to write programs a lot better than some guy out of school. It's not, you don't just sit down and code. It's this perception of a propeller head who isn't necessarily good at communicating is way out. Anyway, thank you for writing. And I appreciate that you enjoy hearing about my career because in the podcast, I've only started with some of my work stories. This email, it's a voice question. I was wondering if you have any tips on how to improve my voice. I was quite shy growing up, so was I, and never really learned how to project. I work in a male-dominated industry, and sometimes I feel like I have no voice, both literally and figuratively. Could you please advise on how to practice speaking in a way which is pleasing to the ear and will be heard? I'll tell you a bit about what I did, because I hope that might be helpful. I made a point of teaching my children to speak with resonance and to try to deepen their register slightly. I mean, we all have a different register in our natural voices, and that's fine. My children went through a phase, though, where all their friends were speaking in these high-pitched, what I thought sounded like baby voices, and they giggled a lot. I told them that they would have a hard time being taken seriously if they didn't learn to speak with authority. I have friends even now who speak in high little girl voices, and I do think that makes it harder to be taken seriously. Now, they are taken seriously. They're very good at their jobs. One friend in particular, a colleague, comes to mind. We were talking about some guy who everybody thought was so smart, and I said to her, he is smart. I'm not taking anything away from him, but so are you, and so am I. Why do people think he's smarter than you and I are? Well, at least partly because he's a guy and he's nerdy. People just equate those things with intelligence. No one assumes the very feminine blonde, and she was as well, blonde, hot, 
And she also had a really nice voice like this, which I don't. I, I tend to speak more directly and with a deeper resonance. But her voice was like this. And I said, that's why people don't think we're as smart as he is. Are we as smart as he is? I don't know. I can definitely assure you that throughout my career, overt femininity was a bit of a problem in the IT industry. And that was the other reason that I felt it was important to make sure that my voice resonated and that I looked at people directly. Obviously, if you have a naturally high voice, you don't want it to sound fake. If you practice breathing deeply and lower your register ever so slightly, it will eventually become natural to speak in a voice like that. Also, my children did do musical theater all their lives. When you do theater or singing, you learn to project. You might want to consider singing lessons or even a singing workshop if you don't want to commit to private lessons. A few lessons will teach you how to breathe properly and improve your vocal resonance and projection, even when you're just speaking. Voice teachers usually give you exercises for you to do at home, too. And the silver lining, it'll make karaoke more fun. Oh, and I just started acting classes again. And we do voice in acting. I've done a workshop with a guy. His name's David Smuckler. His voice workshop was for acting, projecting, getting into the depth of your body, just to make everything you say sound more meaningful. I'm also going to include a link to his site on the text of this podcast in case anyone's interested in that. That's it for emails today. Now I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I just mentioned that I started acting classes last Sunday. I know, it's so strange that my daughter Catherine doesn't like actors, but I've always wanted to be an actor, and I still want her to like me. Why do I want to be an actor? I think, I think the best way I can explain it is that I'm fascinated by human behavior, 
And I love the idea of, of, of slipping into someone else's skin and pretending to be someone who isn't me, doing things that I would never do. Plus, I love being on set or backstage. I especially love live theater, the backstage jobs, even the rehearsals. Rehearsals have never been a means to an end for me. I actually love the whole process. The other thing I like about live theater is rehearsing through the flow of a play rather than jumping around the script shooting scenes, which is what you do for film and television, without the flow of the story. It is really hard to do that. And with the children having grown up in the musical theater group, Blue Water Musical Productions, and I've been actively involved at times with Theater Sarnia when I had time once the children were older. The children have sometimes done a handful of Theater Sarnia productions too. But the main thing for them was the musical theater group. And I've had plenty of backstage roles with both those groups. I've done makeup, props, costumes. I've helped with set decoration. I was the dog trainer when my Jake played Sandy in Annie. His performance was one of the joys of our time. I've been assistant director, executive producer. Anyway, my point is, I love showbiz, but I most especially enjoy pretending to be someone else. It's like wearing a cloak of invisibility or a disguise, if that makes sense. Catherine says she doesn't like actors because they're trained liars, which I guess, yeah, they're, they're very convincing if they're good and you believe them. Apparently, there are some actors who don't know what to say if they don't have a script. Well, I don't have that problem. One of my problems is that I never run out of things to say. Maybe that's why I'm not a very good actor. Maybe it's because I don't lie well. Sometimes I don't even tell the truth convincingly. Once when Abe and I were crossing the Sarnia Port here on Michigan border with some friends, the customs officer leaned in and asked me directly what was the purpose of our trip. He looked past Abe, who was driving. You're not supposed to speak to the customs officer unless they specifically address you. And I looked at him and said, chopping, and sounded so suspicious. Shopping really was the purpose of the trip, but I've never lived that down. Anyway, I need to train to be a better liar if I'm going to establish a showbiz career of any kind, because you need it in voice work as well. I figure if this doesn't work out by the time I'm 72, I'll give it 10 years. I just might have to throw in the towel. It, it seems to me that you need to focus at least 10 years to really give it a chance. I did take acting and improv classes during the pandemic over Zoom, which wasn't great. But this week was my first acting class in person since the pandemic. We had to take a COVID test before and wear masks in class. I was a little bit surprised that some of the people in the class were anxious about being in person. Maybe they're immunocompromised or have vulnerable people in their lives, so fair enough. I don't judge, but I personally am absolutely not worried about getting COVID. I'm triple vaxxed, which means I'm trusting that I'm unlikely to need to be hospitalized, ventilated, and unlikely to die, although... Let's be honest, my children have been raised, so even if I do die, it really doesn't matter that much. My main concern about dying too soon is that my RRSP, which is a Canadian Registered Retirement Savings Plan, 
would be taxed as though I earned that income in one year. Well, maybe not. Yeah, Abe is my beneficiary. Anyway, I know that's a very stupid thing to think about, but this is how my mind works. I want to blow through my retirement money before I die. But I feel as though I'm very unlikely to die from COVID. I had to take a random test earlier this year, and I tested positive, and I had no symptoms. Maybe it was a false positive. I'm told that the PCR tests are rarely inaccurate. But I've read that the new strains are weakening somewhat as the 1918 flu weakened until it became a common cold. And symptoms are supposed to be weaker if you've been vaxxed. But anyway, the point is, I'm not saying I'm any COVID expert. I absolutely am not. But I'm not anxious about being in person for anything. And I found it odd that quite a few of these people were. And they were all younger than I am. COVID anxiety is one thing. But one of the effects of the pandemic seems to be increased social anxiety. Anyone who only knew me as an adult would find it hard to believe, but I was the most painfully shy child I've ever known. I've talked about my shyness in another episode, so I won't go into detail here. Just to say that if you're painfully shy, I hope you can take comfort in knowing that people are not always as they seem, And some of us completely empathize with how that feels. I've always enjoyed my own company, though. And like many people, the longer the lockdowns dragged on, the more I enjoyed not going out. But I felt as though in-person acting and improv classes would be better than over Zoom. So I'm really glad they've resumed. I've started going to the gym again. Abe and I went to a party a couple of weeks ago at his brother Isaac's house, about an hour and a half drive away. This was the first time Abe and all five of his siblings and his mother had been together since before the lockdown. It was so great to get together with everyone, but it was low-key and wound up early as people had to drive to get home, some of them two and a half hours. And it wasn't a big boozy party. Not that the Letkeman parties are necessarily booze-fueled, but I can say that I have been known to dance on a Letkeman counter more than once. But Julie, you might say, surely you must be drunk to dance on the counter. You are projecting. You may not be willing to dance on a counter unless you're drunk, but I revel and relish joining in if the mood strikes, with or without alcohol. I was not the only one on the counter. Now, would I dance on just anyone's counter any time? Of course not. You have to read the room. And the Letkeman room sometimes reads, Julie must dance on counter. Or Heather, get up on Abe's sister Mary's shoulders and enjoy this ride. This is all in the context of good, clean fun. But back to the Letkeman party of two weeks ago. The strange thing for me was the next day. Have you ever felt a nagging feeling in the pit of your stomach the day after a social event? I don't mean the hangover. I mean, it's, it's a feeling of anxiety where you ruminate on everything you said, to whom, and worry about whether you offended someone. Maybe if you've had a few drinks, your brain-to-mouth filter has loosened up a little too much, After all, it's one thing to enjoy the social lubricant of a few drinks, but another entirely to worry you may have overdone it. 
that you may have unleashed your inhibitions a little too much. I've heard this referred to as drinker's remorse. I hate that feeling. And unlike some people, I don't drink to get drunk. I drink because I love the taste of booze. I love cocktails, whiskey, all types of whiskey, brandy, dark spiced rum. Unfortunately, sometimes I don't pace myself well, and I end up overdoing it. And the worst part of that is when I talk too much, too loudly, say the wrong things to people. I hate myself for that, even if I'm not hungover, which I actually used to rarely get hungover when I was young. But that that nagging feeling, the drinker's remorse, would churn in the pit of my stomach into a knot of anxiety. The strange thing is, I had not been drinking at Isaac's party. The whole event was low-key, no counter-dancing, no shoulder rides, no singing. The strange thing was, though, as soon as I woke up in the morning, I felt a very, very light version, but I felt anxiety that was kind of like drinker's remorse. I ruminated on conversations, worried that I had said something I'd want to take back, which was ridiculous. I hadn't been drinking. I was with people who I love and trust. Why was I feeling this way? The only thing I can attribute it to is possibly post-pandemic social anxiety. I'm not used to being with groups of people anymore. It's as though I've regressed back to that shy little girl who was afraid to speak for fear of being judged or misjudged. But that isn't me anymore, or is it? Maybe that was me all along and I was kidding myself that I had overcome my shyness. Maybe you can relate to this feeling now that access to other people is opening up more and more. We certainly are complex, aren't we? I'm going to leave you with a story about what I think was my very worst drinker's remorse situation ever. I was maybe 19 or 20. It was before I had met the girl's father. I was living with my then-boyfriend, the one who used to tell me I'd have such a fat ass by the time I was 25 that no man would ever look at me. I had recently learned that one of my high school teachers had sexually assaulted a friend while we were still in school. Let's just say I was in an emotionally suppressed state of rage in general. I went to a backyard party, alone, at the home of a friend of the family who lived next door to my parents. My parents, Ted and Dorothy, were there. I hadn't eaten that day because, of course, I was starving myself in an effort to not gain that fat ass I so irrationally feared. Please don't do that, people. I was drinking, of course. It was a party. I recall being introduced to a friend's boyfriend who happened to be a high school teacher. He was a young man, nice-looking, probably late 20s, early 30s max, and I said to him something like, I don't recall verbatim. I was quite hammered by then, and it was over 40 years ago. I wonder why you don't see many men teaching young children. I suppose they're more interested in access to teenagers. (sighs) Of course, he didn't know what to say to that. During this party, I witnessed my father engaging in his usual behavior multiple times. Maybe other people thought he was dashing and charming, but in my eyes, in my particular state of mind that night, he was leering and touchy-feely. He was always an unabashed ass-grabber, and normally I just 
ignored it because that's because that's what he did. But in my inebriated emotional state, I felt enraged for some reason at witnessing this. I finally decided I should leave. As I exited the backyard to walk home, I passed Ted being handsy with a woman in the driveway who seemed to be enjoying it and sneered at him. I am not proud of this. Your fucking wife is around the corner. As I breezed by, the next thing I knew, he scooped me up in his arms and started running toward his house with me. I screamed and writhed. He dropped me and I ran home, fell into bed, and uncharacteristically cried myself into a fitful drunken sleep. I don't recall whether my boyfriend was already home or whether he came home as I was sobbing. I just have this image of his face angry with me. It was out of character for me to cry like that, certainly to cry forcefully. I was was never a big crier. When I woke up the next morning, I felt fine because I didn't feel hungover. Until I remembered the night, then the sick, nauseating anxiety overtook me. My mind started going over all the horrible things I had said, how I had acted. I called Dorth to apologize for my horrifically embarrassing behavior. She told me that I had bitten Ted's thumb in my effort to escape, and he thought I meant disrespect to her by calling her his fucking wife. Ugh, I explained to her, no, I meant disrespect to him for his behavior. She believed him when he said he had picked me up to take me into the house because he was worried. I, on the other hand, thought he was going to hurt me. I don't know to this day whether his perspective was genuinely how he saw it or whether he was deflecting, but of course my mother believed him, and thankfully, the people who were present that night accepted my apologies. To this day, I wonder if someone had put something in one of my drinks, because I had never behaved that way, nor have I since, thank God, and I will never forget the nausea, shame, and anxiety of that night— And even the slightest inkling of that feeling is something I would not wish on anyone. And it it makes me think about young people today, how everything, there's a record of everything they did. I'm admitting to you what I did, but there's no record of that. I don't think other people really gave it a second thought. I was young, and I was forgiven. And here I had that feeling again, that anxiety, albeit very, very mildly, but still... It was unnerving, particularly because I know rationally that in this case, it's completely unwarranted. Maybe you can relate. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. And if you're feeling post-COVID social anxiety, I sincerely hope it's temporary. Ugh. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.